Hello, and welcome to this launch edition of the Metier Class by Chanel. I'm Tyler Brulé. This is a new five-part series exploring the craftsmanship, precision, artistry, and design philosophy of Chanel with its family of collaborators. And over the coming weeks, we'll be sitting down with Pharrell Williams, Lady Amanda Harlick, and Chanel fashion president Bruno Pavlovsky. We start our series today as an homage to art director Carl Lagerfeld, who worked for the Maison for over three decades. I've interviewed Mr. Lagerfeld in various settings for over the past 25 years, but on this occasion at the Mercer Hotel, hours before the Chanel show at the Met, he was on rare form as we discussed everything from mystery to being disciplined, inspiration to the essence of Chanel. Carl Lagerfeld died in Paris on February 19th, 2019. When you think about work, what you have to, I mean, just the sheer number of collections that you have to deliver for Chanel. Every... I hate the expression, you have to deliver for. Okay. I'm delighted to do. <laughs> Indeed, you don't have to. You don't have to do anything. No. Um, but nevertheless, when you talk about creating your own world, are you creating also a world for a specific woman or man as well, because you know, season after season. Yes, but what you say that on the border of marketing, I don't do marketing. No, I know. I didn't say the M word. Huh? Yeah. I'm not going to use it. I promise. I have nothing against it, but it's not my job. My job is to propose a fantasy. Whoever wants it, whoever likes it, whatever will be the use of it. But I'm not there saying to myself, this is for this kind of woman, this kind of man. No, that's for all kinds. It depends who likes it. What will be shown this evening? Can we discuss the process and the passion to actually go and celebrate these men and women who are artisans? Yes, but, you know, it's a collection with inspiration from an old, disappeared culture, but it has nothing to do with it. It's not like a Hollywood movie about Egypt. Eh? It's completely different. It is the best of today in terms of craftsmanship with inspiration, from an unbelievable modernity for over 4,000 years ago. Because look at those things, they are very modern. Huh? They are not at all uh, bad taste and things like this. Huh? I think the old Egyptian art and what we see, what survived, is flawless in terms of style and taste. Bad taste came later. Can you put a marker on when bad taste arrived? I think with the industrial area. Before, no, in the 18th century, there was no bad taste. Huh? There were modest things and beautiful things. But uh, in between, like today, and what exists since, let's say, 1840, 50, didn't exist. Huh? Is this one of the reasons that we need to celebrate the métier d'art? Because if we're thinking that, okay, the arrival of the Industrial Revolution might have also brought about a world of bad taste that we need to remind people. Yes, but I mean, I don't want to be pretentious and be like a priest saying bad taste and good taste and things like that. I'm not a judge, you know. No, for me, it's a pleasant thing to do. I can do in perfect conditions. We can travel the world, look how they are organized at Chanel. I think, I mean, this is quite unique. That is enough as an explanation, if one needs an explanation. As Voltaire said, never explain anything because it wouldn't be worth it. There's something unique about Chanel. I don't want you to compare them to other companies, but hopefully... Never compare, never compete. No, but hopefully millions of people are listening to this. What is unique if you look, if you, yeah, compare to others? What does Chanel do that's different? The difference of Chanel is the past of Chanel and the present of me. <laughs> I think it's interesting that we're having this conversation in New York and certainly 
given the show that is going to happen this evening at a time when America has become so digital. We've seen the evaporation of stores from the streets, the collapse of craft, people doing things with hand. Do you think that we had to come back to this moment to celebrate artisanship? Yeah, but I mean, in France, we still do. Even if the events in terms of politics are not great in France for the moment, we are lucky that we still can do things in a way they are supposed to be done because luxury has to be a luxury. That means a beautifully made product, not just something, whatever, can go. And I must say, Chanel is especially lucky because they own all those companies. And if Chanel had not bought those companies, they would have disappeared too because the third and second, or I don't know what generation, was not interested or had no talent. So we really had to save them because we need them. Do you think this is forgotten? Because people look at France as, yes, a place that makes ships and cars and many things. But I think people also sort of look at France, complicated unions, etc. What have been the forces, Carl, that you think have allowed France to still maintain this tradition of, of artisanship, of craftsmanship, of this métier, do you think? Because they had not much else to offer. That was their strength. Huh? And you better stay with what you are good on than to go in directions where others may be better. It's a tradition, and they tried, and I think Chanel helped, to save traditions. Do you think some other companies or other countries, let's look to Italy, have forgotten this, potentially? Uh, no, look, companies like Fendi, they still do very well with the craftsmanship nobody else can do. Huh? But when we look at what's happened today, and maybe it would be interesting to maybe rewind when you started moving into ateliers, when you started to work with artisans in the beginning, is it a more difficult time? Because on one side, you, it's interesting, Chanel is obviously invested in these companies, so you have these people on your doorstep, or is it complicated to go and find the hand that you need today? No, not for me. I'm lucky because I can do whatever I want. I just say I want this and I get it in the best way, in the best quality. So I don't know how it works for others, but Let's I'm, pretend we're not Karl Lagerfeld for a second. I'm a young designer starting out. Do you think it would you have these tools that you might have had in the 1970s at your fingertips or not in the same way? Yeah, but you know, in the 70s, I, I was a freelance designer for Chloe and things like this. I'm still freelance, but I'm running too very, in terms of creativity, because I'm not running business, I hate business. I'm not a businessman because there are people who are very good on that and I may be a little better on designing. So... Chanel, what is very established, in, and Fendi, with every matter of established too. Lagerfeld is still another story, but it's doing pretty well too now. So the whole uh, thing together is very stimulating for me because I hate the idea of doing only one thing. One thing inspires another. If I would be isolated in kind of ivory tower at Chanel, I don't think it would work. That may be, but I think people are fascinated to see that photographer obviously designing multiple collections, doing one-offs here and there. Has anyone sort of mapped the mind of Karl Lagerfeld to say how you can do all of these multiple streams? Himself. I do everything myself. Huh? Oh, no, for sure. But I'm wondering, how are you able to compartmentalize? I mean, when you think about creativity... You know, I don't, you can comment on that if you don't think about it. Huh? I just go ahead. Hmm? Problem by problem, step by step, collection by collection. And it's a non-stop business. But I am enchanted, and I must say, 
I never liked it as much as I do today. The work conditions were never as good. So if there's one person who cannot complain what's going on in the world or in his world or in his business, it's me. Which is a luxury in itself today. Yes, but we are in the luxury business, darling. <laughs> we are indeed. Let's go back to the tactile. I'm interested in, in sort of the notion of sort of making things with one's hand. In Britain right now, they said there's a problem with surgeons. Young surgeons now, because people are not using their hands the same way, no. you don't want someone stitching you up. They're only doing this. Yes. I'm not using it at all. I do everything by hand. And uh, I know how to do it, but I don't want to do it. And I don't do Instagram and nothing because I don't want to be, uh, inform the world what I'm doing. Huh? The companies may do it, but I personally live in a very retired way because I need all my time, 100%, for what I'm doing. I cannot spend time for things I consider unnecessary as far as I'm concerned. So that's interesting. And I've touched on this with one of your colleagues before. Do you think that there's too little mystery in the world? Because I think if people think about Chanel, they think about creations past, they might think about accessories, etc. But part of it is a fantasy in your head. And as you said, if you're on Instagram the whole time, telling people what you're doing every second of the day, the mystery goes away. There is none. No, no, exactly. No, because what is interesting is what you imagine. It's not always interesting with what you see. I totally agree with you. That is the way I do things as far as I'm concerned, because I'm not telling myself, oh, you want to be mysterious. But I want to be not too well known in details. You're a keen observer of popular culture. How did we end up here, Carl? How did we get to this place that people need to feel that they have to broadcast what they're doing every second of the day, whether they're a brand or whether they're an individual? This is a question I don't know what to say, because for me, it's like a kind of mental sickness from you to me. I don't think it's normal. I would even say worse. Some of them are not that interesting. Who cares what they do? It's horrible to say that, but it's true. I'm sorry. So I prefer to be silent so they cannot judge what I think and what I say and what I do, because in fact, they don't know. Yeah, and maybe this is a great tragedy of our time. And, and also, you know, I don't have the time. Huh? A day is very short, I sleep very well, I have to take care of Choupette, my famous cat, and all that, and I sketch all everything myself. That takes a lot of time, you know, huh? because, in fact, I wanted to become an illustrator and a portrait artist and a cartoon artist. I'm still doing cartoons in Germany in the Frankfurt Allgemeine once a month, very hard and tough political cartoons. But I like the physical thing of sketching. So I look for ideas and so on. And I don't look at too many other things because I even said to my godchildren, don't watch too many things on your iPad because you kill your own imagination because you see everything made and sometimes in second-rate quality. So imagination is something you have to cultivate. And I personally close my eyes and I can stay for hours and make my own movies. And this is also in and itself a dying art because you have this sort of sense of overstimulation. People think that they have all of the, whether it's history, whether I want to go and look at textile collections. And I always think it's very hard. How do I look at textile collections and not feel a collection? Yes, exactly, yes. Sure, but that is the way it's the way, you know. My mind is pretty well organized. My memory is very, very good. I don't need Google all the time. I remember everything, you know. 
and I had time to put a lot of stuff in my head. It's true. I've very flatteringly called you, you are a walking museum in the most positive sense, because every time, no, every time yeah, I've met you over the past... Piece, I hope. No, 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 no. It's always remarkable because a depth of knowledge, which is at your fingertips. And I think one of the, the great challenges of our time right now is people feel that they flip open their iPad and they can't recall anything. Yes, but that's for the public. I'm not the public. That's the difference. Huh? And thank heavens. I have to invent my own world. I live in my own world and I use what happens there in my work. How do we inspire others? I mean, is it, is it a show like tonight that you take someone who might be doing their bachelor's degree in Chicago who thinks, I would like to go and start up an atelier if I could? Because I think we're in a very, not I think, we are in a very difficult time where this craftsmanship is dying. That's why I repeat myself every day how lucky I am that I don't have this kind of problems. Because I think it's a miracle. But Chanel did a lot, I mean the company, that this miracle could and can happen. Let's pretend that Monsieur Macron called you tomorrow amidst the many crises that he has I was supposed to go to a party tomorrow, but it's cancelled. Well, yeah, I think many things are cancelled at the moment. And he said, I want you to be the new Minister of Culture and Creativity for France. I would say, dear friend, I'm not French. But he would say, you're still part of the EU and you have an appropriate That's passport. That's not, not enough. There is still a passport. I'm European, but not somebody local for any other country. Nevertheless, I'm still going to ask you the question that, he, that he's going to ask you, which is, how do you encourage a next generation of people to say that they want to actually commit themselves to a life of making things within Europe? I mean, within a European context. I will say something horrible. Nobody gave me advice when I started. I built my whole career the way of doing myself. So I'm not a teacher because I don't believe too much in telling people what to do. Everybody has to find its own way in his time. So I'm from another period, but totally at ease in today. That's the luxury they cannot afford because they were not around before. But should we attempt to inspire them? If they like to be inspired, okay, but I'm not telling myself, now you inspire. Huh? No, of course not. No, 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 no. No, you know, I always think I can do better. I'm never pleased with myself. Uh, uh, when I finish a collection and people say it's okay, I said yes to myself, but doesn't matter. The next one, you think like this. Huh? I'm not at all somebody who is totally satisfied all the time. I'm never satisfied, and I think that is the secret of the success, if you can call my career success. We can let the listeners decide, but um, I think I know what side they'll end up on. So, Herr Lagerfeld, who's it down to? Because I, I want down to, to earth. Well, down to earth for sure. But is it down to Mr. Pavlovsky? Is it up to a minister in Brussels? Probably not. Probably more Mr. Pavlovsky. No, but to make sure that that we have a collection of people who can still make things today. I mean, is it private sector, public sector? You know, it's very very lucky. I'm not even talking about me. I have Mr. Pavlovsky, who is perfect what he's doing. Virginie Vier, who is running all the different studios, who is genius. Eric Fender to tear off the image, and Laurence who does the press. And the five of us, we live perfectly well together. We don't bother each other with endless meetings. Maybe they have meetings. I don't do meetings. I sit in my armchair in the studio, and we have small talk. And out of that small talk, we make our collections. No marketing. They do marketing later, maybe, but I don't have to do that. I only have to deliver ideas and collection. 
and photos in campaigns. Yes, yes, well. yes, 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 sure, sure, yes. What do we call that? Yes, 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 but that's part of the game. Because yeah. I see it like a game, you know. Huh? Not because I'm very lucky that I have this strength around and behind me. Has it always been a game? It improved. It improved. <laughs> well, I'm sure if you're doing more collections every year. Yeah. And no, no, not every year more. But uh, my contract for Chanel said four and I'm doing ten. Not because they asked me, because I thought it was the right thing for the shops and for the whole image that we can change all the time. So it is a kind of involuntary marketing I'm doing. It's only because I like Chanel to be around. And all the time, that every two months the shops can be different and there's the couture and all that. Nobody else said it exactly like this, because perhaps they don't have me. But this, as you said, involuntary, that it has gone to the sheer number of collections. Is this Carl walking around the streets, looking at what other retailers are doing at different levels, saying, we need to do this? Or is it because... First of all, I don't go on the streets because people are behind me with their selfies and all that. My look is too popular to be in display publicly. It's horrible what I say, but it's true. So no, no, but I mean, I'm very informed. I read every newspaper, every magazine. Difficult to find somebody more uh, less informed than me. You know? I agree. I know everything and forget everything and then do what I want. <laughs> but as you said, you're delivering all of these collections now as a proposition within one of the most respected maisons in the world. Yeah, it became so. When I took over, everybody said to me, don't touch it, it's dead. But this was an interesting challenge. And the owner said to me, you can do what you want. So I'm doing what I want. And apparently it worked. But why the up-tempo of so many collections now? Is that to satisfy and create many more worlds to satisfy? No, no, not no. at all. You have to know in what time and what kind of lifestyle you are living. We have to go ahead of times, not after the, uh, what's going on. We have to be ahead of times. That's part of fashion. For sure. And is there a different consumer that you... I don't think about consumers. I knew that, actually. I shouldn't have said the C word. Oh, no, no, then uh, you know you're lost. Huh? Uh, don't flatter other people's taste and think they will like it. Do what you like, and that's enough. Huh? You can make a mistake, but you can do also something decent. So even if you've sketched a cartoon in the Frankfurt Allgemeine Zeitung, you've gone and read a front page about, yeah the boom in the Chinese market, you don't feel compelled to say, I want to reach more women in Shenzhen. No, this is a line for a company, not for a designer. Personally, I'm not supposed to reach anything except to make decent collections. So that's something for the people at BMW to worry about and Mercedes and, and elsewhere. Exactly, exactly. We are not selling cars. I want to know a little bit about this project called Europe at the moment and whether you think that from a, a craftsmanship, from a design point of view, are we still on a decent path? And I say collectively, whether you go to the Salon del Mobile in Milano and looking at what's happening with furniture. I love to go there. But you're encouraged when you look at the state of design yes, within the European but I'm, I'm not encouraged uh, the way I said to myself, no, you're encouraged. No, because I, I'm interested in design. I buy... Uh, Furniture from designers from today, like Martin Siliki, like Mike Newton, like the Borelek brothers, or like uh, this German man who made this glass furniture and now marble furniture called, uh, the now name is impossible to pronounce, uh, Krieg. C R C A C. Gritchich. 
Yeah, because we Konstantin Gjertsch. Yeah, yes, yeah, it's you know. impossible to pronounce. Yeah. Yeah. But I just uh, bought the whole set of his last exhibition at Creo and made an entrance hall in Paris with that, with one of my houses in grey marble, mixed with stuff from Mike Newton and Swedish carpets from 1930. And it's funny, when I saw the furniture, I made a sketch for myself, ordered the things, and now they delivered it six minutes later, and it looks exactly the way I wanted it to look. What I saw, my eyes closed. When I saw the stuff, I think it's very beautiful. I have it now exactly that way. Not that marble furniture is the most comfortable thing in the world, but it's a hall, in the entrance hall, nobody sits down. Eh? Was that deliberate, that no one sits down, that you, they keep moving? No, because I like to be in, in a modern mood, you know. Huh? I had all kinds of periods. I went to the 18th century with everything. And now I like things from today because I think today is quite interesting and they are very good designers. They were not always so good uh, designers. So. so does the young designer, if it's constant, well, the next Konstantin Gurchich who's making furniture, if it is someone who is coming up through one of your ateliers because of access to information, yeah, obviously because of uh, deep archives, do people have it easier? If you think about when you started, Carl... First of all, the archives I hate, I never look at archives. And I go to galleries, I mean, the best galleries like Creo, I go there, so I, I'm informed. Huh? So for me, it's an easy thing. Huh? There's no problem. Huh? If I see something I like, and I think it's new and different, I buy it. And I'm lucky I can buy it. So what about a young designer today, though? Do they have it easier with reference points to say, I'm going to go and create a piece of marble furniture, I'm going to go make a dress, I'm going to create a handbag collection. When you think back to the start of your career, though. Yeah, but I mean, they still have to find the right gallery to promote that, and it's not that easy. Huh? I think it's even very difficult. Huh? And those are not 20 either, the people I'm talking about. Huh? That's true. Hmm? Konstantin Krieg, or whatever his name is. And you know, his real name is a German name, was very easy to pronounce. Huh? You know him. Yes, I've met him many times. I never met him. I don't even know what kind of person it is. But he did Tall and thin. Uh, good. Not a bad thing. It's better than short and fat. You know, I bought his entire collection of glass furniture he did two years ago. You saw them. I think they're beyond. And the worst thing is the chairs mm. in glass are comfortable. Nobody would believe that. I have my whole studio in the south of France made with those glass furniture. I bought the whole collection. I'm still mad, I think they are genius. I want to talk about, and this is maybe, um, it's a bit of a rewind, but the, I guess, inspiration, as you said, I don't know if it was the vision to be doing cartoons for one of the majors I took in, in Germany when you were young and make this a career versus the trajectory that took you to where we are this evening or this afternoon. What was it that actually sort of led you into the world of, of atelier and, and fashion in particular? Was there a turning point? No, an accident. I won a contest and it started all with that, you know. A contest when I was in school, I never went to fashion school or nothing, you know. I didn't finish high school, nothing. I'm the most improvised person in the world. So, but if you know how to improvise yourself, it may work. Yes, that's very true, actually. It would be interesting if actually more people recognized that. Yes, huh? But, you know, I believed in myself, but I also make the effort that this trust could be a reality. I'm not sure if this takes us to Switzerland or to Germany, but something comes to mind because the Germans, okay, yes, everyone likes to be a doctor, hair doctor this, hair doctor that, but at the same time... I'm a professor because I was once a teacher in Vienna for two years. I hate that. In Vienna, I never go there, but they said to me, Herr Professor, 
It's a grotesque. But you have this extreme in Austria, in Switzerland, in Germany, of the doctor. And then on the other side, you have the apprentice, people who learn how to do things with their hands and make things, whether it's a carpenter, you still have this, yeah, but this in the German-speaking world. Yeah, but level, you know. Huh? I'm the one who tells them what to do, but of they course. have to do it. It's not the same thing. Huh? I personally know, how to, know, know nothing. I'm totally stupid to do things myself, but I now uh, know exactly how they should be done. Huh? I don't even know how to make a bed or, or, or cook an egg. Huh? But this process of improvisation is interesting because everyone wants everyone to have a degree in university. Every parent wants their child to have a a bachelor's, a master's degree to become a doctor. They Not saying wrong. everybody. They are wrong. Huh? Yeah, you don't have to have a degree to go and fix a telephone line. No. And people do need their phone lines fixed. Yes. And yet everyone is being pushed. And I was thinking, what's interesting is there's actually a whole world of improvisation yes, that we I need mean, to encourage. Improvisation has to be professional too. Huh? It needs some guidance. There is yes. some knowledge needed to improvise. Huh? <laughs> you cannot improvise in the empty space. There is a heavy base needed. But do we put too much emphasis on sending everyone to design school then? And maybe some people just need to... You know, I never... Buy, someone needs to go and, and just go and buy a Bernina sewing machine and try things out. I know a lot of people who never went to this kind of school and did great things, so myself included. So I'm not a PR for fashion schools. No. <laughs> do you get close to or involved in the selection process, though, of the people around, around you? If, I mean, if you're saying that you have colleagues who are going no, to... No, 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 no. As long as I'm in my studio, yes. Huh? For the rest, uh, it's up to every department boss to find the right people. I don't tell Bruno, take this, take this. I don't know nothing about I don't tell Laurence with what girl she's at work. It's up to them to find the right persons. Huh? And if they don't like those persons, they come to the studio, they are fired out of the studio. But it never happened, huh? It happened once. That's quite a record. That's amazing. Yeah, exactly. Huh? <laughs> um, we touched on Europe briefly, but New York, the state of the United States, and I'm, I'm thinking more in terms of fashion, inspiration, what you see. Are you drawn to the concept of of the USA as, as a consumer culture? Yeah, I always was. I always was. I always thought America was great. I love America. As I love every country who has a personality, huh? So this is the kind of question I cannot answer because for me it's beyond normal. Mm. What countries don't have personality? Well, let's be nice. Huh? But the U.S. as a market. But I'm not a marketplace person. No, I know, but it's still a place. With, okay, we'll just call it a country. We won't call it a marketplace. But it is a land of consumers. It's the world's biggest economy. Yeah. I know you're not on the street, but nevertheless, when you're out and looking at the U.S. landscape, is it something which challenges and inspires still? I have to answer that question. You don't have to. Maybe, but I uh, really don't know the way it is. It's not something I said to myself, this inspires me, I don't know. The simple fact that America exists and the way it is can be an inspiration, but I'm not somebody who's picking out things to be inspired. No, I don't think that I'm going to go to your atelier, to the studio, and see a mood board of... of I, I don't make mood boards. No, I don't. I didn't think so. The mood so. boards are in my head. Does that frustrate your colleagues? I don't know, but it's the way I work. I hate mood boards. So then you uh, copy things of, the, of more or less recent past. I don't do that. Good said something very interesting. He said, to make a better future with the enlarged elements of the past. That's one of my favorite lines. It's good, no? It's very good. Very good, huh? Clever, hmm? 
And also, you know, when you make a collection, you have to make decisions. And there is another example. Lady Mendel, you know who that was, the designer, huh? She did the inside of the Frick collection, and she showed her product to Mr. Frick. He liked it, and he, he said, you have another idea? And she said, no second option. And this is one of my favorite lines, too, because before you propose something, you have to ask yourself all the questions you like. You're 100% behind it and everything. Because if I said to you, look, hey, may you like this? And perhaps you like it. No, no, no. There's one thing and not two. No second option. For me, that was the genius of Lady Mendel to say, well, then she was A.D. Wolf, no second option. That's very good, huh? Hmm? And everyone knows that this is... And Spinoza said, every decision is a refusal. Well, it's one of my favorite lines, too. I have a little stock list of lines like this I live with. And everyone, I guess, around you sort of knows that this is going to... To be sort of the, the yes, but without, I don't give them cultural lessons. Huh? I don't teach about Spinoza. Huh? No, hmm. but hopefully they're absorbing as they as they and go. There's along. another German philosopher called Fichte. He said something genius in 1806. He said, "With the auras going on in the world, look today, huh? who can believe in God? But who did the good things? Uh, there's no answer. I think the genius. Yeah, are we too much in a unilateral world right now that everyone feels that it has to be sort of one trend i mean you notice car design not that we want to talk about cars and you don't drive and that's fine but you notice that there is these dominant influences i think much more than we than we would have seen yeah in industrial design of the 1960s whether it's fashion yes, but also you know there are so much more images diffusion of possibilities on the net, on TV, on, uh, on everything. The communication was not the same in the 60s. Huh? Maybe you're too young to remember. Not quite, but... Um, <laughs> that was another planet, my dear. It was another planet. But here's what's interesting. We've got so, we're bombarded with so many images, and yet vehicles, aircraft, even furniture, everything starts to look very, very similar. You would say almost sort of there's five Instagram filters in the world. And everything starts to live around those five filters. But, you know, if you have a second look, there is still quite a lot of good creativity. For sure. You must have, have, have a second look, huh? huh? And not say that everything is okay and we need nothing else. There's a lot of uh, good stuff around. Is that diminished attention spans, do you think, that people... Yes, it's also laziness, a kind of intellectual laziness. You know, they are there with their little thing and... Hmm? Hmm? I don't think they make always the biggest uh, intellectual effort. But if you don't make an effort, you are lost. Again, we come back to another challenge of our time. I want to go back to Frankfurt for a moment and the Frankfurt Allgemeine Zeitung. I mean, a newspaper which barely had a picture on the front cover until a few years ago. No. A sea of black and white, impenetrable, but one of the most respected newspapers in yeah, Europe. Quite well written. You read German newspapers? Not enough. I mean, I can stumble yeah, my I way mean, through. But I mean, the Frankfurt Allgemeine I would be... I noticed recently that many French daily papers are not well written. They are boring. That's horrible. Huh? The American and the English and German press, they write better. The writing is much better. Huh? It can be mean, but it's more fun to read. Huh? Are we allowed to not talk about the state of Germany today, but a Germanic influence in in process as you said and made the way you've compartmentalized things the importance of deadlines do you still see a certain rigor 
that came from life in northern Germany, which informs what you do. Yes, but the real drama of Germany is that at the beginning of the century, the German culture was a mix of German and Jewish people. And today it's not anymore, because look in Germany from the uh, teens and all that, the silent movies, this Reinhardt is here, the Mahler, all that. There is nothing of that level. So I'm afraid the Germans needed the Jews more than they thought. And my mother always said, Germany without Jews is like a dish with no salt. That's what I was told as a child. But what about growing up in Germany? Are there certain codes? And I'm actually interested. I love very early. Yes. But nevertheless. No, no, no. But my mother said to me, get out of here. He has no future for you. And what was her thinking because of that? What, what no, did she see within a Germanic context that said, this is not going to be for you? No. Knowing from a creative point you know, of view? She or? thought that Germany in the 50s was a ball. And she had lived in Berlin in the 20s and thought... That doesn't exist anymore, so go to Paris. It may exist there. As I could speak French and German and English uh, from the beginning on, I had no problem. And then when you left Germany, you arrive in France? Yes. I arrived in France. My father had an office in France, so the, all this was not that dramatic, you know. No. And people said to my mother, oh, you know, this dangerous. He will be lost. And my mother said, you know, there are a few people who get lost and a few people who don't get lost. My son is from the part of the people who are not getting lost. Yeah, I didn't see you arriving at Gerdenau with just one suitcase. Yes, I, I arrived at the Gerdenau. I'm sure, but probably not with one suitcase and not on your own. No, 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 no. And the friends of my father were waiting for me. Genau. To, to, no, no, no. That, I mean, in those days, you were scared of nothing because nothing was dangerous. It's not like today. So they arriving at Roissy, I'm not sure I would like it the same way. In France, I thought, you know, it was quite dirty. It was before the law of Malraux to clean the city. But I said, it's oral, but that is France. That what you wanted, so shut up and wait. Because it was really not very clean. This sense of, of Europeanness, and before we started, you were mentioning a, a female European leader who we don't need to talk about now. But do you think the Europe project is working and and, and that there is... A future, and I, and I think about a cultural and a design future, which is also the engine. I mean, you said at the very beginning, yeah, you sort of look around, the French have to focus on what they're good at. Yes. Is there that cultural understanding? Is there that understanding of design process? But you know, that is all of that. But when I arrived, I didn't know what I could do. I thought I was there for two years and finished uh, school in Germany later. I won this contest and they changed the world for me. So I couldn't know that before. My life came as a surprise to myself. I didn't even know that you could make a living in fashion. But voila. You know, in in those days, it was not the chicest thing in the world. Designers were not stars like today. Is that... It was still what the French called fournisseur. What comes first, and I'm going to use the B word for brand, you have Chanel and you have many other maisons. Not so many. Not so many. But I'm, I'm Even if I do sometimes collaborations, but that's, I think that it's something very right, very modern and very stimulating because I like to know what's going on in other places. But who's driving the code? Is it because you've been at Chanel, obviously, for such a period that you have created the code? Or is there still something that goes back to Gabrielle and everything that also lives in your mind in terms of... Maybe, uh, let's say, I helped to make it go back to her because it was quite far away. And... And when you look at other companies that bring on a creative director... I'm short-sighted. That's okay. 
But if you look at other companies, well, they bring on a creative director and suddenly the code changes completely. Everything changes. The shop designs change. Yeah, the good. photography changes. This is good? Yes, I like change, yes. Yeah. Oh, no, no. Tradition may be okay, but you have to be careful not to become a bore. No. And when the designers start to do retrospectives and talk about their past and look at their old dress, it's very dangerous, the beginning of the end. Uh-huh. There's another line I love, an old Jewish line in Germany called, no credit on the past. I repeat that to myself every morning. Have you told Choupette this line as well? She's not interested. No. She's only interested in her beauty. That's it? Yes, yes. And to seduce other people. Okay. Hmm. But there must be sort of an intellectual rigor or not not interested. It would sound great if I say yes, but I think it's another level. Okay. Because I, I remember meeting Chupette very briefly behind the bookstore. But Oh, you can come downstairs and see her. Okay. That would be... She travels with me. I don't travel alone. Huh? No, of course. No, huh? She loves private jets. <laughs> what cat wouldn't? I don't know so many other cats traveling that way with her own personal maid. But why... We shouldn't really spend a lot of time on Chupette, but we could. But why this love affair is so late in life? I mean, there's always been animals around. Yes, yes, and the country had dogs. Yes, it's, it's a very strange story. You know, my great friend Ingrid Sishi and Sandy Brown, they had a cat called Cassidy. And I thought they just did too much. They fussed around with this Cassidy. I remember one morning in Biarritz, Cassidy had disappeared and... Uh, this was a drama. Everything was just the house, the attic, the basement, the park, everything. And then Sandy everyone. came back to the bedroom, fall on her armchair and cried. And suddenly out of the little piece of furniture next to the armchair came Cassidy. Then one day a friend came to my house and said, I have this cat that's only three months old. I'm leaving for two weeks. Can your maid take care of it? And when he came back to the I said, I'm sorry, the cat is mine. I fall in love with her, and uh, when uh, Cassidy died, because he was 17 or 18 years old, they said, no new cat, but in the end, they ended up with a new cat called uh, Cody, because uh, Cassidy and Cody, huh? yeah. you see? And Chupette is an horrible name, but, you know, in those places where they are brought up, they give names before you, they sell the cats, huh? mm. and her name was Chupette. When you talk to her, Chupette, she's not answering. She answers only when you say, Chupinette. Very strange. I think it's the sound of the... I Chupinet. I mean, it's grotesque. I became grotesque, but I'm enchanted to be grotesque. <laughs> Just uh, before we go, I wanted to ask... Uh... I guess two things. You just said something very interesting about uh, the world's become sort of a dangerous place. And I, I like this image of you arriving at the Guernot and of this sort of sense of bewilderment. And, and as you said, no sense of fear in that time. And I walked in Paris even at night to discover that I never had the feeling of anything could happen to me. Today I wouldn't do it. Not because it's me, but even if I would be the me from then, I wouldn't do it. Too dangerous now. Does that hold back a creative spirit as well? If I arrive as, yeah, to come and work for Chanel, if I venture out in the world, does, does that sort of sense of personal fear? Yeah, but I ignored that completely, huh? Today you can ask the question, but then the question didn't exist. Life was in a way simple. Not that I regret it, I'm totally at ease in the life of today, but you better don't compare. Because in another way, life was modest then. 
Now we are spoiled in a different way. How was life before the iPhone? You remember? How was life before the iPad? You remember? I don't. My, uh, my last question is really focused um, on this particular maison from nine, ten collections, obviously a celebration of the use of, of the hand. Is it up to marketeers? Is it up to the press people to underline what luxury is today, to remind people, okay, you're paying um, X for this. There's a rarity for this. The people who can afford it don't need lessons. They need information. And you can uh, educate new generations, but the generation of the new very rich in some parts of the world is now the highest level of taste in our standards. You see what I mean? And that concludes this first edition of The Metier Class by Chanel. This has been an homage to Chanel art director Karl Lagerfeld, who died in Paris on February 19th, 2019, at the age of 85. You can follow the rest of The Metier Class series over the coming weeks here on Monocle 24, or download them from your favorite audio source, including Chanel's special 355 series on iTunes. Up next, I'll be speaking to Chanel fashion president Bruno Pavlovsky here in New York, and back in Paris, we'll be sitting down with Pharrell Williams and Lady Amanda Harlick. Today's show was coordinated by Monocle's Daphne Hazard, produced by Holly Fisher and Fernando Gusto Pacheco. I'm Tyler Brulé. Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.